Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Jazakallah khair for joining us on our Thought Adventure podcast. Uh, alhamdulillah, we're back again. Um, various things have been going on in the background, inshallah. We'll probably talk about this more maybe next week. But today, this week, inshallah, we're going to be talking about the logical problem of the incarnation. You know, the claim within Christianity about Jesus being the incarnation of God on earth. Is there a problem with this? How should we understand this? How do Christians themselves understand this? As always, we have Jake, the Muslim metaphysician. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. And we've got Abdurrahman as well. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. And we've got the pondering soul himself, Yusuf Ponders. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Excellent. So in this, uh, obviously we're going to have this in two parts this session, uh, this podcast. First part is going to be maybe a little bit of an extended intro in order to understand what's going on, what are these uh, particular claims. And then after about 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so, we will invite guests. Anybody can call in. You'll see the StreamYard link uh, for you guys who want to call in. So that's going to be after about 40 minutes or so. So, you know, you have the opportunity to criticize us, question us, push back, say we've got it all wrong, whatever you want to say. We hopefully will try and prioritize, you know, our Christian colleagues and friends to come on uh, or guests. Uh, because obviously this is their doctrine that we're critiquing here today. So Yusuf, why look into other people's God's God claims, other people's revelation? Why do we look at things from you know this point of view of is it logically coherent their religion? So the whole point is is obviously there's many religions, and this is often a contention brought forward to theists, like why is yours in particular the true religion? How am I supposed to pick between all of these? There's 10,000 plus of them. So the the point of exploring these in terms of their content um, is so that you can whittle it down to the, the most likely. Um, so, for example, if a particular religion puts something forward, like say, for example, we're going to explore this today, with Christianity, if it turns out that what they put forward in Christianity raises certain questions, um, which leaves open the possibility of, say, polytheism. Like, obviously, this isn't going to be um, an in-depth explanation, but let's say certain propositions they put forward um, raise the question of, well, why would God only necessarily do this once? Why does God only need to have... Um, entered into creation in the way they say he did with Jesus Christ, alayhi salam. Uh, why only once? Why not several times? Why not 20, 30, 50, 100? Um, why, why take Christianity's propositions as true, but then Hinduism's as false, if he can do it multiple times? And there are um, variations of Hinduism that could sort of accommodate this idea. So you've got soft polytheism, which considers all of the, uh, the gods within the pantheon. Um, to be divine expressions of the same one true God. Um, so you've got to sort of be able to to look at this, explore it and distinguish or uh, go through a, a trial and error or, you know, what's the explicit word for that? Um, process of elimination um, yeah. in order to figure out where truth lies. Okay. Just look at uh, Abdul Rahman. 
what is what is this issue? Uh, I know we, we're not going to go specifically directly into the discussion about Christian claims, but what is there is there a problem in saying that the Creator, God, Allah, can come into creation, or could be considered a man type person? Is is there is there some sort of issue with regards to this? Yeah, well. Um... Uh, first of all, theologically, there might be from an Islamic perspective, but I don't think that's directly relevant to the logical problem of the incarnation. I don't think it's a mere question of God manifesting in reality. So we may have philosophical issues with the notion of God manifesting in reality from an Islamic perspective, but I think the, the idea with the problem of the incarnation isn't really that. It's more related to the nature of God, the nature of man, and as it relates to the person of Christ and uh, how he is uh, considered to be fully man and fully God. So I don't think it's a mere uh, uh, question of God's manifesting himself in reality, although theologically that may be an issue. I think it just um, it's much more specific than that with regard to how certain attributes, uh, uh, divine attributes and human attributes contradictory attributes actually could coexist in the same person so um uh, I, I think tackling it in that way just kind of like approaches the problem of the, the incarnation uh, head on uh, uh, we we can we can we can talk about that part about god manifesting in reality but uh, but i think to sort of streamline the discussion we can go straight to the issue of the incarnation okay so um are you trying to say abdul uh, Abdurrahman, I always say Abdul. So Abdurrahman, are you trying to say that there is a sort of a philosophical issue that's at play here, and there's obviously an Islamic textual issue. The Islamic textual issue is pretty clear. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala does not incarnate into human beings, but there's also a philosophical issue, which is that there are certain attributes and uh, nature of human beings that we can come to rationally, and to talk about God becoming a man. Yeah, it sort of contradicts that very notion, that rational conception that we arrive at with regards to a creator. I suppose it's like, uh, sorry, going up though, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say there, there can be a philosophical issue on, on, on the idea of God manifesting himself in reality as well when it comes to like a God becoming a man. Uh, I'm not saying there's no philosophical issue to be made there as well. There can be. And uh, as you mentioned, it relates to the, the rational conclusions we come to when we're discussing um, philosophical <laughs> arguments for the existence of God and the properties that we uh, we rationally arrive at with regard to this creator. Uh, um, so we can we can kind of link that to the issue we might have with with uh, the notion of God uh, becoming a man, uh, uh, you know, like just that idea in its raw form. Uh, so yeah, a philosophical case can be made there, and there is a specific theological issue from within an Islamic paradigm. Uh, but then again, what I'm saying is I'm not sure that that is uh, is the fundamental problem, is the foundational issue that we have with the problem of the incarnation. Okay. From a philosophical cool. perspective, yeah. Right, right, right. Because the way the way I've always understood it is that uh, if we make a, a particular claim or proposition, like a squared circle, you can just dismiss that particular claim because it's just incoherent. It's meaningless. Uh, regards to that. So, Jake, uh, I want to really understand what is it? Uh, what is it that Christians really claim about and really believe when it comes to the issue of the sun incarnating or God incarnating in on earth. 
try and keep it brief because I know there's a lot of details, but I will ask you other questions on that as well. Yeah, I mean, in its simplest form, um, it's obviously a, a doctrine that typically uh, stems from the idea of the Trinity, although non-Trinitarians uh, may conceive of it in another way. But generally, it's that the Son who is um, eternal, he is the second person of the Trinity, he becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. So what does that mean is that um, they will say it's a matter of addition and not subtraction, although sometimes it may appear that there's something being subtracted and we can talk about it. Um, but it's the idea of the second person, the son um, becoming incarnate, taking on human flesh. He adds a human nature uh, to himself an or already existing divine person with a divine nature. And this is where we get the formulation of a thing like the Chalcedonian Creed talks about it's one person, which is the divine son, with two complete natures, one divine and one human. Um, so that's the basic idea of, of, of what the incarnation actually is. Okay. So um, I know you've done a series of videos, Jake, on this topic uh, what is the logical problem of the incarnation? You know, mm -hmm. is it a rational problem or is it a uh, internal contradiction within the Christian, you mm -hmm. know, theology? <clears throat> yeah. So I'm going to read a quote here from uh, William Lane Craig, who people, the audience may be familiar with. He's a popular Christian um, philosopher and apologist. And I like the way he explains the problem. Now, when we talk about it as a problem, Christians and even other people who are skeptical of this so-called problem um, may not like the language or they may think that we're being biased because we're Muslims. So I want to read a quote from Dr. Craig where he explicitly tells you what the logical problem is. Um, so just give me one second here. Um, so he says, and this is in the beginning of... His, he has an article on, the, on his model of the incarnation. But he introduces what the supposed problem is, and then he tries to solve the problem. Um, so in talking about the incarnation, he says this, but, but if anything appears to be a contradiction, surely this is it. And now he explains what the contradiction is. How can Jesus be both God and man, infinite and finite, creator and creature? How can we unite in a single person both omniscience and ignorance, omnipotence and weakness, moral perfection and moral perfectibility? The attributes of deity seem to drive out the attributes of humanity so that it seems logically inconsistent to affirm with the historical church, historical Christian church, that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Um, so the contradiction as uh, Craig lays out, and as far as I understand it, the sort of logical problem is that how can a single person uh, possess contradictory attributes that are coming from both natures? So both of the natures have each sets of properties, and I have a video on this um, where I go into more detail. But for example, uh, he gives some examples, like typically an attribute of divinity or of a divine nature would be um, that God is omniscient or, or all-knowing. Typically, humans are limited in knowledge. They have a knowledge to a certain degree, but they're not omniscient. 
So this seems to be contradictory. How can a single individual, a single person be both omniscient and also ignorant or omnipotent and weak to a certain level at the same time? So that's on a very basic level what the apparent contradiction is. And then there are these um, uh, especially contemporary um, sort of Christian philosophers try to answer that problem. Um, it's, it's a logical problem in the same way that we talked about the logical problem of the Trinity. This is a logical problem that Christians try to um, propose certain models to make sense of answering that question. How could a single individual possess contradictory attributes simultaneously? How do we make sense of that? And so that's what they try to do. But on a basic level, that's what the contradiction is. So do they do they believe that uh, Jesus, Isa alayhi salam, is like a created puppet and that there is this sun god, yeah, the third person or the second person of the Trinity, that is sort of manipulating this creature, yeah, this this almost like a robot, which is, or do they actually believe that Jesus himself is both fully God, fully man in the locale of Jerusalem or Nazareth or, you know, in 2000 odd years ago? Yeah, no, more, more of the latter. So they, it's not like a puppet, puppeteer type of thing. It's that um, literally Jesus Christ, uh, the son, the same one that was existed eternally is both in a quite literal sense, uh, truly or fully God and truly and fully man. Um, and so the question is, I mean, there's a couple different questions, um, how we can get at what the, the problems with that are. Uh, and one of them is how is it that a single person in the way that I'm a single person, how could I possibly have contradictory attributes simultaneously of being omniscient and ignorant at the same time. Um, because we can, going back to something you guys talked about, we can conceive of how a God could limit himself and become a rock, but then he wouldn't, that's not really what the issue is. The issue is how could God limit himself and be a rock and both be limited and unlimited, meaning a rock and fully God at the same man, at the same time. That's more of what the question is. It's not that how does God limit himself? It's how does God limit himself and still remain unlimited? Um, that's right. really what the problem is. So what did the early church then discuss regards to this? How did they try to tackle these problems? Or so, did, they, did they tackle the problems or did they just simply state dogma? Um, so for the most part... Um, I mean, they try to talk about it in a roundabout way, but when you look at things like the creeds, um, for example, in the early uh, part, like the Council of Nicaea was mainly a uh, an issue of the Trinity uh, and how Christ would be conceived. Is he a part of the Trinity? Is he uh, does he have the same nature as the Father, or are they different? This type of thing. But later on, um, in further centuries, in things like the Council of Chalcedon. It was uh, mainly Christological controversies that went more into detail about the nature of Christ and who exactly Christ was. And, um, for example, in the Council of Chalcedon and the Creed, it basically just tells you what is appropriate to say about Christ and what is not appropriate to say about him. So it's just like a thesis uh, statement. Okay, this is the way it is. 
Um, it doesn't go into great theological detail of explaining that. And that was kind of left up to the job of uh, the theolo theologians and philosophers. And in my mind, much of the problems, although they have been attempted to be addressed, um, there are still some lingering issues as to how these uh, problems are resolved. Obviously, we are talking about it as a logical problem and not merely an apparent one. We think that it's an actual contradiction that hasn't been, been resolved. Maybe we can go into a little bit of detail about um, maybe different models of, of how, I don't know how deep we want to get into it, but of how they try to conceive of Christ in a way to resolve it. And then maybe what the sort of basic problems with each one of those solutions are um, before we go to guests. But um, yeah, that's, that's basically how it was dealt with in the early church was just stating these sort of catchphrases, just similarly with the Trinity, three persons, one being, or three persons sharing one nature. Christ is one person with two natures. So just one last point is that the incarnation can be understood as a mirror image of the Trinity. The Trinity is one nature or essence that is shared amongst three persons, whereas the incarnation is one person that has two natures. Right, okay. So uh, what do they mean by natures and mm -hmm. persons? Uh, by the way, if Yusuf and Abdul, you can also join in. <laughs> yeah. No, but I know Jake's, no, Jake Jake's, Jake's the man of the hour here, so we're going to let him talk. <laughs> that's, yes. why I'm that's why I said I'll present today, because I could just ask questions. <laughs> right, okay. So, Jake, yeah. uh, what do they mean by uh, persons and nature? Because it, obviously there's a f there seems to be a problem in my mind, this idea of being fully God, fully man, having both divine nature and, you know... Uh, uh, human nature, because that seems an obvious contradiction. But you're also you're also saying there's also a problem where it goes to this idea of two natures, but one person. Mm -hmm. So what yeah. do they mean by person? What do they mean by nature? Yeah. So I mean, this is part of the problem. I mean, the same problem exists with um, with the Trinity. Is how do you conceive of nature? How do you conceive a person? So. Um, there's no, one of the issues is that there's no single way really to answer it. Um, there's different responses to it and, um, you know, how different people conceive of it. So when it comes to the nature, it's typically either understood as a, uh, basically a concrete particular or a universal. Now, what does that mean? Um, let's think about humanity. So we have four humans on the panel. Uh, the question is, is the human nature a universal that is identical, that is exemplified in each four of the panelists here, so that my human nature is the same as Sharif's human nature and Yusuf and Abdul and any other human? Um, that's how a universal is understood. It's it's a nature that is, it's a, it's a basically a set of properties that can be shared. Um, uh, and then when it comes to a concrete particular, which many of the early church fathers believed, I, I feel uh, this was the more dominant view, is that a, a human nature is something that is a concrete particular. So, for example, my human nature is different than Yusuf's human nature. There's something 
similar about it that allows us to call them both the human nature, but mine is not exactly the same as Yusuf's and anybody else's. So each individual has their own unique um, human nature. But so that's sort of the distinction between the two views in that uh, way. Now, when it comes to universal, um, when it comes to these properties, you know, like going all the way to back to Aristotle, he defined the human as a rational animal. So the human was in the category of animal, but it was distinct from other animals because it was a rational animal. Um, so, you know, nature is basically a way of categorizing a thing. It's to say what makes the thing that it is like, what is it about a horse that makes a horse a horse? What is it about a human that makes a human a human? And there are difference of opinions on this. So like everybody doesn't necessarily agree with uh, Aristotle and classifying human nature as a rational animal, but it gives us a rough understanding of what it means. Now, in the same way, we can talk about that with the divine, uh, because Christ had two natures. So he was human, uh, human nature and a divine nature. When it comes to the divine nature, usually it's classified in terms of attributes or properties. So people think of uh, the divine nature or the, you know, uh, what it means to be God, to possess certain attributes like omniscience, meaning all knowing, omnipotence, meaning all powerful, um, all, all of these different kinds of things, aseity, self-sufficiency, uh, being necessary and not contingent. All of these different things are attributes that are typical of the divine nature. So that's what's understood in context of the natures and then maybe some example of what they are. Now, when it comes to person, I think that's a little bit more tricky. Um, and maybe I can pull up a quote here um, from William Lane Craig on you know some of the confusion about what exactly the human nature is, or I'm sorry, not human nature, what it means to be a person. Uh, because some people, especially in Trinitarian um, theology today, they talk about a human person in the context of a basically self-consciousness, uh, something that has a will and a center of self-consciousness. Um, and, you know, of course, even in the Trinitarian uh, disputes, there are Trinitarians that disagree with that. But the way that I like to simplify it is to think of it in terms of constitution. So constitutionally, or what makes up the human, what is it that gives us um, these attributes of being a person or gives us the, the category of being a person? Now, we talked about, and, and this is my understanding, we talked about in terms of... Uh, consciousness in a previous episode, I think consciousness is directly related to what it means, at least for our understanding today of what it means to be a person. Um, and constitutionally, I would argue that the soul, uh, you can either say is somewhat synonymous with consciousness, or you can say the soul is conscious, meaning that it, it gives rise to consciousness because either way is fine. But we argue that on materialism, which is a separate issue, um, that it cannot account for this sort of immaterial part of man. Now, um, I think a good way to sort of classify it is constitutionally what makes a uh, human being a person. 
So typically in Christian theology and even Muslim theology, uh, there's either two or three categories of man. So it's either uh, a dichotomy or trichotomous view of human beings. You have the body, which is the physical part, and you have the soul, which is the immaterial part, generally speaking. And then there's a third component that's a question, which is this thing called the spirit, or in uh, Islamic terminology, the nafs and the ruh. Um, whether or not these things are the same, that's kind of up for debate. Um, but either way, it's these constitutionally, the human being is made up of these two or three parts, either body and soul or body, soul and spirit. And it seems from my point of view that if you, whether you take it a two, um, sort of a two pronged view or three, either way, they are sufficient for human personhood. And I'm going to read a quote here from uh, Dr. Craig on this. He, he responds um, to a question. It was sort of in a question and answer thing. It's on his website. He says, what he is saying here, and he's responding to a comment, is that if Christ had a merely human soul and a merely human body, in addition to the divine person, then to me it is very difficult to understand why there wouldn't be two persons in Christ, one human and one divine. Think about it. Now he asks the question, what goes to constitute a human person? It is a rational soul and a body. So this is his answer. If you have a rational soul and a humanoid body, then you have a human person. That is all it takes. So if you say that Christ had a merely human soul and human body, then why wasn't there a human person, Jesus? Yet orthodoxy denies that. Orthodoxy says there is only one person in Christ or who is Christ, and that person is divine. There is no human person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a divine person with two natures. And then Craig says, I can't make sense of that if we say that Christ had, in addition to his divine person, a human soul conjoined with a human body. That seems to me to be sufficient for another person, in which case you have two sons, one the divine son and the other a human son. So the point of reading that long quote is to say that Craig, in which I would agree with, constitutionally a human person is at minimum uh it's sufficient to say that he had a human body and a human soul that is a human person if you want to add the spirit to it that's fine as well um so you know i i would like to hear the christian perspective when they come on if they disagree with this definition of person um see how they define personhood and then we can look at how it's applied to Jesus Christ. Okay, Jake, let me try and repeat back so that uh, at least I can appreciate what you're saying, maybe make the audience understand. So you're basically saying that they, when Christians talk about the incarnation of the Son on earth, they're saying that this Son on earth, now Jesus on earth, has both a fully divine and a fully uh, human created nature. Yeah. So you've got this fully, fully divine nature with all of its essential properties and attributes, such as all-powerful or knowing a creator, etc. But also at the same time has this fully human nature, which is part of it is having ignorance, not being all-powerful, being limited, etc. And you're also saying another thing, from what I understand, is that they're not just saying that they are just two uh, natures and one person. They've got another problem, which is 
identifying whether the person is attached to the human side of Jesus and then you've got a personhood which is attached to the divine side of uh, Jesus and all the middle of the sun yeah mm -hmm. so in essence what you said from what I understood is is that when we look at the what is the nature of a human being normally we encompass the idea of the soul consciousness rationality mm -hmm. the ability yeah. to choose so we yeah. talk about that when we talk about the nature and by talking about that we're talking about a person yeah yeah so yeah. therefore jesus would have to have been a fully human being yeah because yeah. that's the idea is that he's fully human i.e took on the nature he didn't leave any of his divine natures so he would have to have a human will a human soul with a human yeah. physical body but then he would also have had a you know divine nature with a divine spirit i suppose they call it a yeah. divine will yeah so how doesn't that that sounds to me like two persons then yes yeah and that's what that's what dr craig's point is is that um look if you for example when it comes to the trinity typically today especially amongst like social trinitarians they define person in the context of three persons as a sort of modern psychological understanding. It's a center of self-consciousness. Things have uh, like uh, a will and um, certain properties ascribed to it, etc. Now, the whole question is whether or not Christ had that in terms of his humanity. Well, it's this is what where the sort of um, contradiction is within the model of one person two natures. And let me kind of unpack that. It's without a doubt that in Orthodox Christianity, Christ was a, according to Trinitarians anyway, Christ was a person prior to the incarnation. So be, apart from creation, apart from the incarnation, he was a person. So, okay, we got this thing that is the son, which is the second person of the Trinity. So it's already a person. We got one person. Then he adds to that person and divine nature, he adds a human nature. Now, the question is, in terms of his human nature, what did he add? Well, the uh, Chalcedonian Creed says, and then further councils go on to add the idea of the will, say that he had a human body, a human soul, and a human will, and a human mind as well. So if he had a human body, a human soul, a human will, and a human mind, well, then those four elements seem to be sufficient for a human person. And that's what Dr. Craig was explaining in the quote. But then if you the, the contradiction seems to be, you're saying there was only one person in Christ. There was this one person who took on these four elements that seemed to be sufficient for human personhood, in which then you would have two persons, one divine person and one human person together would be two persons, but orthodoxy denies that. That's a heresy known as Nestorianism or the idea that there are two sons or two persons in Christ. So the contradiction seems to be that Christ was a person prior to the incarnation. He takes on these other things like human soul, body, will, and mind, which seem to be sufficient for human personhood, and yet they claim that he wasn't a human person. So then that calls into question, well, then what does it mean to be a human person? How could he have these things 
and yet still not be a human person, that just seems to be a contradiction, even in the way that they have defined human person. So Dr. Craig, I'll just give a little insight into this. What he says after I've read that quote, he says this. So uh, I am constrained to avoid Nestorianism, which is the heresy I just explained. Here, I think Apollinarius, which was a figure in, uh, you know, in the early centuries in Christianity, he has point, which he was also deemed heretical, has pointed the route that we could take. Namely, you say that there's a common constituent which is shared by the human nature and the divine nature. That would be the person, the soul of the human nature is the person of the second person of the Trinity. By having this common constituent, there is an overlap, so to speak, between the divine and human natures. Now, let me just unpack what that means. Basically, in layman terms, what he's trying to say is that if you say that Christ had a human soul, body, will, and mind, that is going to relate to being a human person, and orthodoxy denies that, and that it would be a contradiction. So what he has to say, Dr. Craig's model is, to say that Christ did not have a human soul, because if he had a human soul, then he would be a human person, and we say he was only one person, and that would be a contradiction. So in order to get out of the logical problem, he follows Apollinarius, which was denying that Christ had a human soul, but Apollinarianism was deemed heretical by the church, and because they said it results in Christ not being fully human. How could he be fully human and have a, a complete human nature and not have a human soul? Because when a person dies and the soul sort of leaves the body and there's just a corpse, we don't say that that's a, a full, full human nature. It's just a dead body. You know, so without a human soul, it doesn't seem to fulfill the, the claim that Christ could be fully human. And so that's why the historic church denied Craig's proposal of saying that Christ didn't have a human soul because then it doesn't seem that he would really be or possess a full human nature. But on the other hand, the church never resolved, in my mind, the problem that Craig today contemporarily is seeking to avoid, which is this logical problem, apart from the contradictory attribute problem, is to say, well, how do you define person because we think that human soul, body, will, and mind, if a person, if, if a thing has that, that that's sufficient for being a human person, you are, the, the church is affirming that Christ had those things and yet is denying that he was a human person. That seems to be a contradiction. His only way out of it from his perspective is to deny that Christ had a human soul. Therefore, he can make sense of how he wasn't a human person but then he has the problem of explaining how Christ was fully human without having a human soul. Okay, so <laughs> there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, and I, I want to bring the other brothers in as well, if so, if they want to add uh, their, their point of view, it'd be good. But why is the Chalcedonian Creed, why, why should a Christian who sees this very clear, apparent logical contradiction basically saying that Jesus had to have a human nature by having a human nature would mean to have a human person. Yeah. But then that would also mean that he would have a divine person. And if you deny that will or the soul of the, the human will or the human soul or the human consciousness yeah. uh, of Jesus, then you basically saying you just got an empty shell. Yeah. Yeah. So why, why can't a Christian, is there, why, why is it that 
the the church chalcedonian creed why is that so important in terms of christian theology mm. so basically why did they want to say that christ was fully human not um, just that the... sorry it wasn't quite that it was more to do with okay i recognize um, let's say i recognize this apparent contradiction but i'm just yeah. going to ignore the church i just forget okay. about it yeah so um Broadly speaking, we've got three main groups in Christianity. You've got the Protestants, you've got the Eastern Orthodox, you've got the Catholics. The Eastern Orthodox and the Catholics definitely are going to try to abide by this because they see the creeds, at least the early ecumenical councils, the first seven or so, six or seven, um, they see them as authoritative. Now, the Protestants there's more wiggle room because they will say, well, they're going to bring everything before the bar of scripture, but even most Protestants are going to want to stick to things like the Nicene Creed and even the Chalcedonian Creed. So my point is, is that they, it's a historical issue. The, the issue for them would be those who say, well, okay, we see the logical problem and we're just going to deny this to get out of the logical problem. They have a historical issue to answer and say, well, why were all of these people believing this thing? If God was supposedly guiding the church by the Holy Spirit, how did he allow the like outright majority of early Christian theologians and those who formulated these creeds to develop this, hist uh, this heretical sort of Christianity? That's the issue that they're going to have. But most people, because of that problem, and because a lot of people are Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, they they cannot deny what's in the the uh, early creeds. Only the Protestants even have any wiggle room to do that. Um, but uh, I, I do want to read just a brief quote from uh, this text, which is called The Metaphysics of the Incarnation, um, which seeks to answer some of these problems. It's published by Oxford. On the very first page, it, it, it addresses this issue. It says, those who address these issues operate under certain constraints, which the vast majority of Christian theologians have agreed are important, although they have not agreed about how to express them or about which models respect them. First, and it lists off three uh, things that any model that is seeking to um, resolve these problems must be constrained by, that Christ must be fully and genuinely divine. Second, that Christ must be fully and genuinely human. And third, he must be genuinely a single person. So the idea that he was a single person with two complete natures, divine and human. He says, if Christ had not met these conditions, he could not have been a true savior. They are expressed in the Christological definition laid down by the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451 in the doctrine that Christ was a single person with two natures. We may then take these constraints as basic to discussions of the metaphysics of the incarnation. However, they pull in different directions. Historically, those who have sought to stress the true divinity and also the true humanity of Christ have found it hard to reconcile this with the affirmation that he was really a single person, meaning that he wasn't two people. Taken too far, this tendency may result in Nestorianism, the claim that Christ was two people, one nature, uh, one human, and one divine. Conversely, those who have stressed the unity of Christ's person 
have faced difficulties in explaining how he could be fully human and fully divine. Taken too far, this may result in Eutychianism or the claim that Christ's divinity swamps his humanity. So the point is, is that the author is laying out in the beginning of this book in the intro that these are the basic constraints. The basic constraints is that Christ was one person with two compute, complete natures, fully human and fully divine. Now, if you want to get out of the creedal thing, you can go to the text of the Bible and Christians will tell us that Christ was a man. He was He's called an anthropos in the Greek, in the New Testament, several times. And they also claim that he was called divine or God, whether you look at the John I am sayings or whatever. So we can grant that for the sake of argument. They say based on the text that he was both fully divine and fully human. Now, when it comes to the one person thing, they will say that in the text, and this is for the Protestants who are not happy with the authoritativeness of the creeds, they will say that Christ is presented as one person. Why? Because when he speaks, he says, I, he doesn't say we. There's only one son, there's not two sons. So even based on scripture, if you take the scripture alone as authoritative, Christians will say, and this is what the creed was born out of, that Christ was a single person, not two persons, and he was both truly and fully divine and human. Uh, so I want to ask Jake a quick question, if possible. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so I was going to ask uh, you a question, Abdurrahman. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I want to keep it with Jake. So, so th those those two extremes you spoke about, Jake, uh, uh, William Lane Craig, which which direction does he take? I'm just a bit confused. Um, so I think he takes the latter direction of Eutychianism or the claim that Christ's, Christ's divinity swamps his humanity. Um, because if you if you notice, um, Eutychianism is basically the idea of, of, of a mixture between the uh, human natures. So typically in the, in the Chalcedonian understanding, Orthodox understanding, there is no mixture between the two natures. They're, they're separate. Although they're united, meaning in one person, they don't mix. Now, the problem with what Craig said is he literally said that there's a common constituent shared between the human nature and the divine nature. And he says there is an overlap, so to speak, between the divine and human natures. That's Eutychianism. Eutychianism is the idea that there is overlap between the divine and human natures, and that is a heretical position. So he gets out of, because he wants to avoid the first um, part of it, of the two-person problem, he denies that Christ had a human soul. And so he has the latter problem of having a mixture between the two natures and Christ's soul was the divine soul and not a human soul. He didn't have a human soul. So, but but yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm feel, I, want, I know I, we want to stick to the logical problem as it pertains to orthodoxy, but I just want to talk about Craig for a second. So yeah. in, the, in this case, when, when, when Christ supposedly died on the cross, it was the human soul that died. Um, for Craig? Well, it can't be because he didn't have one. He didn't have Sorry, sorry, soul. sorry. The, sorry, the divine soul. Sorry, I misspoke. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess to be charitable then with them, they would say that death in that case would just be the divine soul separating from the human body until when it was reunited three days later. So the divine soul didn't die. 
Well, I mean, that's if what God, death if God means. Cannot then... die, see, if God cannot die, then God cannot die. And if it's a divine soul uh, and the but divine soul a, but, died. But, but for us, guys, I mean, to be charitable, uh, death is not like annihilation. It's not like you're just blanked out. So, yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, so I it's that. a separation or a it, it's a death of the physical body. And that's basically what it amounts to. I think for Christianity. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Yusuf, what's your thoughts? And, uh, and I, I want to be uh, quite quick because I don't know if we've got people waiting. Have we got anybody waiting, Yusuf? We have uh, one beard growth obsession. <laughs> Taylor, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, okay. and, and, and one thing I want to add, not about the topic, but guys, if anybody does call in, we're, we're going to give preference to um, Christians because we're discussing their doctrine. So Muslims, you're welcome to call in uh, and we'll take you if there's nobody else waiting, but we're going to give preference to Christians. Yeah. yeah, and if you can share the link, like, subscribe, do all yeah. that. You know, yeah, if you're uh, on Discord service, just go and find all the ones where there's lots of Christians on and uh, yeah. share it on there. <laughs> so, cool. so what is it in particular you're asking? Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, there was an interesting point that Jake mentioned. Yeah, so he's saying that look, the, there's an issue of the, the the early church adopts a position, and this is a creedal matter. This is like akida iman matter for the Christians, and they're making a decision. And what, in essence, is coming through from what Jake's saying is now you've got situations like what thirty uh, seventeen hundred years or fifteen hundred years later, they're coming out with different saying actually it's completely wrong. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm just wondering the analogy within Islam would be Muslims of the early generation, like the Sahaba, yeah. holding on to a matter, a creedal matter, not just a ikhtilafi fiqhi matter, yeah, but a creedal matter. And then we say, 1400 years later, no, they got it all wrong. They're in, they're in logical contradiction. Yeah. So I guess one of the major issues there is just this idea that the people that were closest to the source um, would have less of an idea of the the fundamental issues at hand than those that came centuries later or even millennia later in the case of Christianity. Um, so that would be the, the biggest issue. Um, it also, it's, it's sort of highlighting the problem of how unclear it was in the, the text itself. So within the documents that they're trying to derive this from, um, because if I remember from what Jake said, um, this isn't something that they say they necessarily infer philosophically. Um, the doctrines themselves are deriving from scripture. Yeah, so, I think they're trying to reconcile the scripture with the, the Jesus saying, I uh, yeah. being fully man, trying to also claim that he was God. So they're trying to reconcile all of this. And it yeah. comes across a lot of baggage. I don't. I want to be as charitable as possible. No, I would yeah. agree. I mean, Definitely. the main the main issue for me. I mean, this for me seems like a bigger problem than the logical problem of the Trinity. And uh, and I I think the issue is like you could say that that for example God being omnipotent and that being an essential property uh, of of His divine nature, uh, you could you could conceive of God trying to limit that, for example, uh, let's say just not from an Islamic perspective, I'm just saying you could conceive of it 
God withholding power. But when you say that he ha- he's, he's, he's both fully human and fully divine, then I don't think you're just saying that God is withholding uh, certain aspects of his power. What you're saying is that he is truly limited and he is truly unlimited. It's, it's, it's not that he's unlimited, but he's restricting himself. It's that he's unlimited in the true sense of the word, and he's limited in the true sense of the word as well. So, so um, cause, because I've come across some Christian friends who would say that he can choose to limit himself, well, sure, but I don't think that's the problem. Uh, I think the issue is that you, him being fully man means that he must be truly limited in the actual sense of the word and not just, you know, just choosing not to act with his, uh, with, you know, with his, his, his yeah. full power. Because th- there's, yeah. there's a huge problem here. Is that what do you mean when you say that God chooses to limit himself? Because if he chooses to limit himself in a certain regard and then he can unlimit himself, then he was never really limited in the first place. Um, and then it, it touches very much on that conversation that we were having when we were doing the Jake's debate review. Um, this idea that, you know, the, 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 what a contradiction is was made quite plain. That something is A and the negation of A simultaneously. And this <clears> is pretty much what we're looking at here. We're looking at in the person of Jesus, Ali Salam, um, that he is fully and in the absolute sense A and fully in the absolute sense not a simultaneously yeah and th- that is part of the doctrine that is the claim that they're making that jesus jake, is a and not a simultaneously. so jake, let me yeah. ask jake just on this issue because i think it's a really good point that's been raised the issue of omniscience the idea of being all-knowing now from what i understand is that there is a real problematic verse within the the new testament which really gets into the heart of this fundamental contradiction about the incarnation of god because if god is if jesus is meant to be fully god he has to have all the properties of god and if he's fully man then he also has all the properties of man and there's a particular verse about the issue of uh, omniscience i don't know if you can read it out if you found it no no i i mean i have it off the top of my head um I, but before I address that, I just want to mention something you guys were talking about as far as limiting God. Um, same thing with the Trinity. There's different models of the incarnation to try to solve this logical problem. One of the things that was proposed uh, only within the past couple hundred years is this idea of a canonic Christology. <clears throat> so it's this idea of kenosis, which is found in Philippians chapter 2, that Christ basically humbled himself and became a servant. And the idea is that he divested himself of certain attributes. So now uh, Yusuf brings up a good point. Well, what does it mean for him to limit himself? Well, there's two different ways that it can be conceived of um, in canonic uh, Christology. On the one hand, you have what's called ontologic uh, canonicism. And then on the other hand, you have something called functional canonicism. The ontological thing is to, uh, canonicism is to say that Christ or the Son literally lost certain divine attributes. So he literally gave them up in, in, a, in a quite literal sense. And then the second one, functional, is to say that, well, he didn't completely give them up. He just refrained from using certain powers or certain properties. So I do want to make a disti- distinction between those two things. And depending upon who the Christian is which view they take, 
there would be a different response to them, um, you know, based on that. Uh, like what Yusuf said, well, if he just was like sort of withholding from them, then was he really was he really not, uh, you know, fully God in that sense? Was he really, did he really divest himself of anything? No, it doesn't really seem so. Um, but if he totally did just like temporarily give something up and he didn't have it, well then, yeah, that would be even more problematic because if those things that he gave up were essential attributes to be God, then he couldn't really be God. Um, now, going back to your question, Sharif, about the text, um, there's a couple different texts, but in, in, in Matthew 24 and uh, 36, I think it is, and also Mark 13, 32, um, it mentions this idea that uh, when it talks about judgment day or what's called the hour, even in the Quran, this phrase is used of the hour referring to um, when judgment's going to day is going to be in the end of the world and this sort of thing. Um, it says that Christ doesn't know when that's going to be that only the father knows when the hour is going to be and not the son, nor any men, nor any angels. The father alone knows when this is going to be. Then also you have a further problem in something like Luke chapter two, verse 52. I think it is when it says that Christ grew in uh, wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, he grew in wisdom. So that means that to, to a certain degree, uh, if, if wisdom is basically knowledge applied, and we can, you know, differ slightly on the, um, you know, definition, but it has something to do with knowledge that he did grow in knowledge and in wisdom. Um, and so the problem is, is that if omniscience is a necessary attribute of God and Christ was a single person, then the question is, who was the one that was ignorant? Who was the one that didn't know when the hour was going to be? And typically what Christians will say, well, that refers to Christ in terms of his human nature. But that's making a category error because I'm asking a who question and you're answering it with a what question. Natures are not the types of things that you can say, well, that thing, that what is ignorant. No, because if you're saying that and I'm asking who, then you're applying personhood or these attributes of uh, consciousness and thoughts to the human nature, in which case you're creating a divide and that would run into the problem of Nestorianism or there being two persons. So um, that's usually the way it's answered. That's how it was answered in my conversation with um, uh, a Christian apologist, Samuel Green on da the Dawawai stream. And I corrected him on this and said, you're, you're running into the problem of Nestorianism by when I ask you who was ignorant, you say it was the human nature. But the problem is when I say who, he doesn't want to say the one person, which is the divine son, because then how could the divine son be ignorant? He's supposed to be omniscient. So you wind up with this problem, what's called either the two person or no person objection, Either you relegate it to the human nature, in which case then you have two persons, which is Nestorianism, and you've got a heresy, or you relegate it to the either the divine person or the divine nature, in which case then it casts doubt on the fact that he was divine, because to be divine typically comes along with being omniscient, and if he wasn't omniscient, how was it a divine nature? So either way you go, oh. there's just a different problem.
just, just to clarify, so omniscience or knowledge in general is, is, is an attribute that is connected to the who, not the what. And yeah. when you're asking who was ignorant, you're basically asking about the person. Now, you want the person of Jesus or you want Jesus to be both fully uh, God and fully man. So he needs to be fully omniscient and ignorant yeah. at the same time. So the issue is when you ask who was ignorant and uh, uh, that necessarily needs to be attributed to the person of Christ, then where is the omniscience? We're left with the omniscience aspect that's either going to be connected to a second person, which is a problem, or that's been left behind, which is also a problem because then he wouldn't be fully divine. Yeah, yeah. And um, St. Maximus the Confessor, which is a saint in the church, he actually picked up on this problem and he just had to admit that each one, each sets of properties of the individual natures must be, pro um, must be predicated of the one person in Christ. So there's only one person in each set of these contradictory attributes at the end of the day. They have to be also predicated of the one person in which now this one person has both contradictory sets of attributes being predicated of him. And that's where there's an obvious contradiction. Yeah, so it, it just sounds crazy, man. <laughs> I don't want to be like, uh, uh, you know, uh, belittling, but it just sounds like a bit of a mess to be honest, when, when they're trying to put these, it's, it sounds like they're trying to literally trying to put a square, you know, a squared circle in a triangular peg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's compounding the problem. Uh, yeah. And to be quite honest you with you, I mean, Abdul kind of mentioned this uh, before and I agree. Um, people might disagree with this, but I actually personally think um, William Lane Craig talks about the three doctrines. He calls it the big three, um, Trinity, incarnation, and atonement. Um, of the three, I think the incarnation is the one that's most obviously problematic and contradictory. It just, it, for me, and maybe when I explain it, it's not as clear, but in my head, it's, it's the most obvious and intuitively contradictory and problematic. It's harder to kind of flesh that out with the Trinity and then even, I think, more so um, with the atonement. So I would agree. I, I would say that to me, the incarnation is more logically problematic. You can't really have more, but is more obviously logically problematic than even the Trinity. Cool. Should we get... Uh, it is, yeah, let's on? get somebody on. Um, but also, I just want to mention that me and Yusuf are probably going to have to leave in about five minutes or so. Uh, but while we've uh, got the guest on, uh, he can have a conversation with Abdurrahman and also Jake. So, yeah, Yusuf, man, bring, uh, bring uh, our guest on. What's up, guys? It's Pastor Taylor. So, Taylor. What's going on? Is, I told you I was coming. So, is everybody is ready? A, he's a real-life pastor, but also... He has he has a slightly unorthodox view of Christianity. He's uh, he, you're a modalist, isn't it, uh, Pastor yeah. Taylor? Yeah. Yeah, but completely so, different definition for incarnation and a lot of yeah, theology. Yeah. We have the, the so I basic. think maybe maybe a lot of the discussions that we had today or just before you came on might not necessarily apply to you, but 
Um, yeah, I don't know if you got any points or views that you want to raise or any, you know, criticisms. Well, I noticed that we were talking about, like, where Jake brought up the, the, the church history, the historical problem aspect. That's something that actually applies to this discussion, with me anyway. In what way, Taylor? Well, he asked, that's an important question is, well, how did they get all this wrong for so many years? And that's something we have to really discuss. Okay, so that's what's a, your thoughts? Why do you think they got it wrong for so many years? Well, they never had it right in the first place. And that's what the Bible, right? The Bible teaches us this. This is happening all throughout, the, you know, Christendom at the time. It's being written that there are these people that, you know, they have a different Jesus. So they, they're performing miracles. They're floating in the air. And they're claiming that they're, they're a branch. They're teaching several, what Paul called, devilish doctrines. Hmm. But Taylor, do you not think that this is not like, it's not like getting some particular point in law incorrect. This is getting one of the three fundamental doctrines of yeah, Christianity and, wrong. And on that as well, so, sorry, do you mind if I jump in? Um, yeah, yeah, jump in, jump in. So on that as well, do you not find it rather problematic or strange that for 2000 years, majority of christians have been following heretical beliefs and it's only now that we're well, starting to stumble I would upon have, that. If, if i you know said hey those are christians following heretical beliefs because that's biblically contradicting itself what do you mean well if they were christians and they did get plucked out of the father's hand by devil doctrines that that would be well how can they be both christian and reprobate so what, what you're time? saying here is but then that's even more problematic because now you're making the claim that there was no true Christianity until recently. No, I, I, th there was. It just wasn't mainstream orthodoxy. The orthodox is not Christianity. If I accepted that, you know, that the orthodox is Christianity and ever was Christianity and went astray, but like on a few different, you know, theological points or whatnot. And they did. Taylor, they, they Taylor how does how does modalism solve the logical problem of the incarnation? Well, the incarnation. Mm. You know the definition of the incarnation without referring to uh, some of these orthodox theologies. Go enlighten me. Run, you tell us. You tell well, us. The, the definition of in, incarnation is to embody a deity. Okay. Embody a deity. Yes, he embodies, right? And that's biblically consistent because it says that this, the, the wholeness of the Godhead dwells with him bodily, like the fullness. So it was okay. in him bodily. He's an incarnate. There's no way to refute that. So he was bodily. fully man, fully God. So so how do you deal well, with the issues we raise? I'm not saying you can't. I'm genuinely asking. Yeah, that, that's where we get the, the theological problem. The, no, so so God, was God, was God, was he, was, was Jesus fully man and fully divine? He was a man with a divine soul, and he had to give it. He had to yield that up when his manhood died. He died like a man. Okay, so, so what was so divine have, in him? Yeah, yeah. He came like we do, like Jake said. We find two, right? We we have that that Pachos from Theo and Kieros Jesus Christos, right? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we find Anthropos in there all the time, right? He's Anthropos Christos Jesus. The man, the Christ, Jesus. Yeah, but but I mean, what was divine what? in him? Like, what, what was did he add a divine soul, 
in a human body. Yeah, he told us that his flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. My words are spirit. And his personhood was it was he a human person or a a divine person? Well, no, he, his person, right? Person, like his person is flesh, but it personifies the God of beyond the world, right? The beyond the realm we know that created it. So, so it was a human person or a human person that personified yeah, the divine? Yeah, a human person. He's an adopt. All the prophecies are about an adoption. Okay, so divine soul, you know? human person, right? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you want to come in, Jake. Um. Yeah, I mean, do you think he had a human soul? No. Why not? Because he told us that right after his agony, where he was, he was pleading and begging. Right, he's saying like, "Let the cup pass." He came down and told his disciples that the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Like, yeah, he but not in the so yeah, and he. So what about the passage that he, when it says that his soul grieved him? Huh? What about when it says that his soul grieved him? Yeah. So the divine soul, which is the only soul he had, the divine soul could grieve. Yes. How does that work? The same way in, in you know Genesis six, when he grieved, he created mankind, which he destroyed them. So he regretted creating humans. Got the Bible. Yeah, got the Bible grieves his emotions, anthropomorphic ones. Yeah. So I mean, it, this this is where um, <laughs> you know Taylor's. Taylor's view is is so unorthodox uh, when it comes to uh, God's the, the idea of classical theism and the how God is conceived of what attributes he has. I mean, Taylor just goes totally against it and says, well, God mm -hmm. can be ignorant. He doesn't know everything. Um, all these different things. I mean, I just get to a point of a loss of words, to be quite frank. Yeah, open open theism is the theological position we have, which is God's ignorance of the future, right? Yeah, well, the future doesn't exist materially. He just knows the state as it is, and when he sees it, he he has emotions about it. And one, you could argue that this is the compromise between an anthropomorphic creation and the mission he's given, and that's but why. Wait, but how does the father? How does the father know the hour if he doesn't know? So. So the son doesn't know it, yeah. but the father knows it. But the, so that the fun, this the father knows the future. Then, yeah, the father's not a person. The father's just a, Jesus, the person, the only person, talking about the God that sent him. That's not a person at all. It's a being, and it's not. It's not explained to right. It's not physical. It's not anything. So when Jesus, but comes then we down, go back. We go back to what Jake was saying about the problem when you answer who was ignorant or who is omniscient. Or uh, who knows? You answer it with the what. I mean, we're asking the who, and when we say a who, we're referring to personhood. So right now you're telling me that the father isn't a person, but he knew the hour. Is is there a problem there? Or well, he knows the hour because he's the one who initiates the hour to begin with. But who so is he? If he if it's not a person, you're referring to a being. Yeah, I refer to the being because it was introduced to me as the father. That's how Jesus personified it, not him, God himself. 
Yeah, what what I guess what I'm asking is if you're saying that the father didn't have a per the father isn't a person, but he knew something, and we're saying that knowledge is an aspect or a property of personhood, then how does the father know anything? The fa the father we can't say he knows the future, but we can say he knows when he is going to do something. Because when that happens, he's the one doing it. Jesus isn't. Jesus is confined to his mission every single time he's here. Yeah, I guess I'm having the problem I'm having is with these references you're making to Jesus and then the Father. He's yeah, doing this, it, he's doing that, but then they're this. You're a modalist, so you're talking about basically the same person. Uh, I guess that's where the confusion comes. And then how can yeah. you, if they're the same person, how can you assign knowledge to one but igno yeah, ignorance Jesus to the other? And God's not either, but he can yeah. make predictions, and it's not because he's he's a, a you know sight a force here, because he, he's the one that actually creates everything as it happens. So like but what's me, the difference I know between him and Jesus. I, I get you know, that. So, so I, yeah, yeah. So, but what's the difference between him and Jesus? Because you're a modalist, and as a oh, the difference like, between him and Jesus is because yeah. Jesus Jesus is here in the physical world. That's, but that's, is it is 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 the common is the commonality between them here the personhood that they're the same person because you're saying the father doesn't have a person is is it like no, they're, not, they're, not, they're not the same person it's three like mo same three modes three modes three manifestations of the same God right yeah okay so the they're they're not the same the okay okay I I, so, I, I can go I ask ahead. you know when Jesus was Jesus Salam was on earth. Do you hold that God was only manifested as Jesus during his life? Or that he was no, he also was, existing as God as well? The whole Bible was Jesus. No, 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 my question specifically is so you understand it as as a shifting in modes. So he shifts from one mode to another. Is that how you understand it? No, that, wanna... that's that's more like that's like a trinitarian thing where there's three people, right? He's not shifting every time he interacts with the world. It's a mode because he can't fit infinite into a finite place. So everything that's coming in here is a limited mode of God. So what actually is God then? God is the the thing yeah, that's outside of creation. Without create, he's uncreated. He don't have things like he can't be too heavy or too soft or too hard or too any. Of that. He can't be any of those things because he lives outside of a place that it, those exist. Okay. Do the does do all of the three modes, Father, Son, and Spirit? Do they all have those things? Yeah, they have physical characteristics and anthropomorphisms, and and they get mad, they get angry, they they okay, adapt so, to be in the world. So, so what that means, <laughs> it logically follows from that, from your two statements that the Father, Son, and Spirit couldn't be God. Because God, the thing that is God, doesn't have those properties. The modes have those properties. Therefore, they're not God. Yeah, they're just God communicating. There's communication into the world. Yeah, so Father, Son, and Spirit aren't God. They're just created yeah, modes. That, that would be God. Trinitarianism. That would be a God that exists in creation, wouldn't it? I mean, but then at that point, it's not really, it's not really incarnation. It's it's a create the sun is a created mode it's yeah incarnation like i said at the beginning incarnation is the embodiment of a deity that's the the definition 
if you go into theology and stuff, you'll get all these, these, these models of the incarnation as a doctrine. But the actual incarnation is irrefutable. What but where's mean? the deity? I mean, where's the deity? Yeah, there's the there's no is. deity that because you the, just admitted, okay, the son can't be fully God and fully mad because he doesn't fit the criteria for being God, yeah, because, the the pro- God. because the properties of God are not in line with the properties of the created mode. The modes are created. The God is uncreated. Yep. Even, but you just but you just said that before point. that he is God. Yeah, he's God communicating to Earth. The prophet of God, basically, a created yeah, prophet of God. Yeah, we, I have no. There's no difference between Jesus here on Earth and a prophet, because he even said that. I just the don't only, get where is the aspect of the like, where is the aspect of divinity when you're saying he's created, uh, and he's not God, the God that is transcendent that you believe in. Who apparently is not a person, maybe? I, I, I'm not sure. But we'll then clarify, We'll clarify the prophethood, right? You, you see how there's other prophets in the Bible? And like with Moses and Aaron, he tells like, I will, you will be God to them, and Aaron will be your messenger. And, and so you get that. The, right? When Jesus came, it was more a little bit more than that in the adoption. He's like, not only are you going to be my, my messenger, you're going to be me, and you're going to die for me. And I'm going to dwell in you, and I'm going to be killed in front of these people for you, commanding my love for you. Now, does he really die? You know, like there's, there's like the the space, the God, you know, the omnipotence die for a couple days and then come. No. But yeah, his, but, his but then, then I guess what we're asking then is what what happened? Because what all you're saying here is that there's a created mode. There's something something special about this prophet that that distinguishes him from other prophets. But you're not telling us what. It, what it is about him that actually gives him that property of divinity. Well, I, maybe I'll throw a word. Jesus is the son. Yusuf, you need to Jesus is the son. Okay, sorry. Carry on. Carry on. Can you, can you repeat that? Does that explain Taylor? a little bit better? No, can you repeat that? Because I didn't hear you. Sorry. Jesus is the son. Is the what? Before Jesus this... was badgering. Jesus was telling Moses, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. Jesus is that. So when Jesus died, we're looking at it. We're to embody that. You understand? He's the sunnah. Are you saying sunnah like this? Islamically, the Islamic, can, the Islamic yeah. term, right? Sunnah. Yeah, we can't embody Moses according to the Bible. We can't embody any of the other prophets because they all have these, these ink, you know, they all have these things that happen to them over time. They become imperfect and they, they screw up and they get mad and they... They all make mistakes and they show their fallibility. Where Jesus does no, So what you're saying is there's no substance of God in Jesus. There's just a manifestation of perfection or something. So there's a substance of Sinless. God, but it's it's not the the whole being of God. You get what I'm saying? It's the fullness of His deity dwells in Jesus bodily, not just a, a command like I command you to do this. Jesus is there to be God, and He gives us the Son, if you will. So you're saying he has the soul because earlier you said his soul is divine. Yeah, his soul is divine. Uh, but I also heard you say that there is nothing about the eternal, transcendent God that is actually, literally, in Jesus. So what's this soul you're talking about? I mean, well, is I it the substance Jesus. of God or Jesus is the transcendent one? The manifestation. I'm talking about the mode. Yeah, that, that Jesus would be the manif- the, the transcendent. 
No, his person, body is not. But but yeah, yeah the so the per the person, not the person, the soul of Jesus is that transcendent, infinite creator. Right. right? No, he's okay. not the. I get he's you. Not the, he's not uh, the I infinite. Just, just, he's part of that. He's the transcendent. He's not the transcendent because he, he oh, said he's, he's the transcendent. He said he's right? created. He said he's created. No, transcendent means he can come in. See, uh, we have a different definition here again. All right. When God transcends break, break it into down. the world, it break creates it a mode. Yeah. He can't fit in the world. But he's not the one who's transcending into creation, though, isn't he? I mean, he's still outside and he creates these things yeah. just as like representations. Yes. So Jesus is the one that transcends. Which technically, you're right, it's technically not a transcendence at all, because he's not coming from the outside in. But when God shoots something into the world, right, it's it's the transcendent, and that's would be Jesus every time. I mean, Taylor, isn't it just so much easier uh, to take your shahada, man? Come on. Uh, it's, it, let's see, we're, <laughs> we're checking out, we're looking at the, the facial hair. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's coming into the world. Uh, I don't know. No, I guess I, think, I guess I'd like I think, I'd like Jake to comment on how this yeah, would would relate to the logical problem of the incarnation. I mean, regardless of whether you think it's a coherent concept or not, I think I, I don't think it is, in my opinion. But but uh, how it would relate, how how it, how it would be affected, or how it would affect the logical problem of the, the incarnation. I mean, the logical problem is based on. Uh, the three assumptions which Taylor rejects. So I mean, it's. So I think he avoids the logical problem, but then I, in my opinion, he falls into like a bigger problem. Yeah, oh, I think that. it's still a logical problem to say that the modes are God, yet you define God in such a way that the modes aren't God. That's the contradiction. They're God and they're not God. That's what the contradiction is. I'll give you three examples. What I believe. Do you believe that God could take a son up among his creation if he wanted to? No. What do you mean? Uh, 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 yeah, like you're talking about what's it called? Ad uh, adoptionism? Is that what it's, what it's called? Something yeah, you, like that? Do you believe God could take a son up in creation if he wanted to? If he will? Well, yeah, well, if you're referring to that verse, it's, it doesn't mean the verse in the Quran. It's, it's not referring to a literal, a literal son. What does it say? There's different there's different concepts in in the Quran. Uh, he couldn't have a son because he doesn't have a mate. Uh, that's one example. When it's talking about um, God could have taken a son, it's talking about adoption. I believe yeah, that because it I says his from, from amongst his slaves, his creation, yeah. he would select and so, yeah, he yeah. could have chosen. He could have said, "Oh yeah, Taylor, so, you're going to so be not my God, son." So there's no aspect it's, of divinity there. But it doesn't mean you become God like God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, regardless, I, I agree with you that God can take a son because he wants to. He can go, Taylor, you're going to be the son. You're going to die on the cross. I agree with that. I'll go, okay, you can do that because you're God, not me. I don't get to argue with you. But you're not divine, are you? If God chose huh? you, you're, if God chose you to die on the cross, you're not divine. You're not God, are you? Not unless God... Pointed me and told me, I will that you be the divine to them and that you will embody me and you will personify me. You will die for everyone else. See, Taylor, the problem that I have is that the language that you're using sounds metaphorical. Yeah. 
you know, when you turn around and think a bod, you know, when you turn around and you say somebody's a godly person, you're not literally saying that they are God. You're just simply saying that they are pious. They follow what God commands them. They yeah, are godly God. in that sense. Yeah, they're God. They're God in our programming. We don't have a God outside of our program. That's that's where you get this mysterious thing that you could never explain, <laughs> words or thoughts or anything. I'm not talking about programming. I'm just saying in terms of the language. So we, need to, we have to be clear, isn't it? Because in the language of Trinity, Trinitarians and Christianity, they believe Jesus on earth was not metaphorically, but literally God on earth. He was literally fully God and fully man. Yeah, it depends on how, how you're defining that. I don't know whether I disagree or not. I say he's not whole literal God because that's impossible. But if you say that he's God on earth to us, then yes. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're, you seem to be moving from a, from a literal language to meta, using it as a metaphor, saying that he's godly, which is different to turning around and saying that he is literally God on earth. Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, that's an, the issue. It's, a, it's an equivocation. That's the problem is that on the one hand, you're using God in a certain sense, and then when we ask about it, it's a different way. Yeah. So you know what, what you're basically saying is that Jesus is a created thing, created being. It's a created, created representation of God. That's it. Yeah. And the representation of God here is that he's fulfilling God's command. And he's sinless in being able to fulfill God's command. Yeah. Yeah. Because so he's the that, only infallible in the, in the Bible. Right. But that, that language that you're using there doesn't mean that Jesus is fully God in the context of being literal, not metaphorical, not, not saying that he is a created being created by God in order to fulfill God's command who is sinless. That's yeah, by the language. way, we've, we've, we, guys, we've got a couple other people waiting. Uh, we're going to have to. Yeah, let's see what the Trinitarians have to say. So I oh, yeah, look at the <laughs> Jesus <laughs> an, an incarnate God and not the God. Yeah. Okay. So let's see what other I'll people Taylor, we'll, 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 we'll talk, talk later, later, Taylor, and, and, and Jake will keep working on his beard. So, yeah. Take All right, care. thanks. <laughs> um, cool. So, we've got, we've got Altangelo. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, yes, how's it going? Correct. Fine, thanks, and you guys. Thanks. Good. We're good. So, how's so it going? I mean, we're, we're we're talking about the incarnation and what we think is the sort of logical problem with it. Um, what's your? I don't know. Were you watching the beginning of the stream? Um, what are What are your responses no, I just to it? Joined. So, my first question is: Have you guys looked at John? Uh, uh, chapter one, the Gospel yes. John, chapter one. Have you guys already discussed that? We've not discussed uh, it specifically. No, we're, we're not. We're not, we're not so really discussing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Let, let me just explain because you probably haven't watched the beginning of the show. What we're discussing is the logical problem uh, of the incarnation. Does it? Can it mean? Can it be applied? in such a way that there are no logical problems or is there an inherent logical problem in saying God or the son incarnated into Jesus? So I don't know. Do you believe that Jesus was the incarnation of God? Was he both fully God, fully man? 
Yes. Right. Okay, then. Do you see any logical problems regards to this? No. Okay. So, Jake, maybe if you want to uh, bring him up to date in terms of the discussion that we had. Yeah. I mean, there. in order for me to explain everything again, it's pretty difficult, but let's, let's just start out with the basic problem. Um, what are what are the necessary and essential attributes of God from your perspective? That he is eternal, um, um, fundamental, personal, um, uh, all-knowing, the the, the uh, all-powerful. Uh, okay. So yeah. Okay. So, so those attributes, when we say that they're necessary. Uh, in order for God to be God and they're essential that without those things, a being that doesn't have those things couldn't be God, right? Okay. We're in agreement. Yeah. Okay. Do you mind, do you mind if I ask as well? So do you consider the, the law of non-contradiction to be a law which helps us to understand the world and everything else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah. you you wouldn't deny the law of non-contradiction? No. Okay. Go ahead. And yeah, and so the, one of the attributes that you listed was omniscience. Uh and so if if Christ or any being is not omniscient, then they couldn't be God. Um now the portrayal of Christ in the New Testament is that he wasn't omniscient, and we gave a couple examples of this. Um so I'm wondering do you actually think that Christ was omniscient? No, while he was on earth, he wasn't omniscient. Okay, so while he was on earth, he was not omniscient. And you said omniscience is a necessary attribute of God. Therefore, while he was on earth, he couldn't be fully God. Well, is there some logical contradiction that he restricted himself from his, uh, uh, from his uh, being godly? while he was in eternity with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and then he restricted himself when he became incarnated and became man and was submitted to the limitness of, uh, of uh, being in human form. Is there some logical contradiction by him restricting himself during that time period to, be, to not be omniscient? Yes, the, the logical contradiction is what we just went over is that in order for God to be God, he must be omniscient. Christ was did not have omniscience on earth. Therefore, temporarily at least, while he was incarnate on earth, he couldn't be God. It just logically follows. No, I don't see any problem with that. Could so what, what's, the, what's the flaw in the reasoning? Well, could, could he ontologically not have restricted himself? Um, by becoming human, that he would not have been omniscient during that time period. Okay, so let me let me put it in a syllogism to try to make it as simple as possible. We went over the necessary and essential attributes of God. You agreed that omniscience was one of them. You agreed if if a being or a person does not have that, then he couldn't be God. So when it comes to Christ, we understand it as if Christ was not omniscient then he was not God. Christ was not omniscient, therefore he was not God. It just the only follows other, logically. Yeah, the only other option you've got 
is to say that he was simultaneously omniscient and not omniscient. Yeah, but he already, time, but he already, already gave that up. I mean, yeah, yeah. when you said. No, I think I was very clear that while he was in eternity by the Father, he was omniscient, but he restricted himself from that attribute while he was here on earth. Right, there but is the problem yeah, that's what we've said. There is, we've, yeah. we've, there is nothing logical, ontologically uh, impossible in, in, in he restricting himself from that attribute. Oh, Tangela, we're not talking about time. that. I think, I think you're misunderstanding the point. The point is not that God couldn't logically restrict himself. That's a separate issue. The question is, if he does that, could he still be considered truly and fully God? That's the part that we're dealing with. We're saying no to the latter question, and you are as well without really admitting it because you already agreed that a necessary attribute of God is omniscience so that if a being does not possess the attribute of omniscience, he cannot be God, at least temporarily. So if you want to say pre-incarnate Christ was omniscient, then on earth, he was not om omniscient, and then post-ascension, he became omniscient again, then that's fine. But he went from being God to not fully God to back to being God again. You can't say that in the stage while he was on earth and wasn't omniscient that he was also fully God because you've already said that omniscience is a necessary attribute of God. Well, I think that um, if he would not be omniscient, at any moment of his existence, then he would not be God. But the fact is that prior to incarnate and becoming human, he had this attribution. So, but he gave it up. Um, but yeah, he g gave it up uh, temporarily. But it okay. doesn't mean that because of that he lost his identity as the second person of but the then, But then, oh, Tangela, what of God. What you would have to say then, you would have to revise your original statement of saying that in order to be God, you must be omniscient. In other words, omniscience isn't a necessary attribute of God because Christ yeah. on earth was not omniscient, and yet you're still saying he's God. So that's where the contradiction is because oh, yeah, you seem to have already boxed yourself in. Otherwise, the only other option you've got is to say that Jesus temporarily ceased to be God. Yeah, that's what I and that's what I've been saying. That's I, I the logical conclusion. I don't think that he lost his identity while being here on Earth. We're not um, talking about continued. his identity. We're we're talking about whether or not he was well, ontologically well, God. Well, I mean, um, it would follow that he wasn't God during his period here on Earth. And okay, so you prior he was he was God. Why, why, right. why is that? I mean, uh, that's a problem because is... I mean, historical Christianity says that while he was on earth, he was truly and fully God and fully man. But you're, you're, can I and you're, and you're denying that? I mean, I, I don't see really a problem in regards of this because, are, uh, yeah, are you, are you Catholic, Orthodox, or Protestant, or what? I'm evangelical. Okay, so even you're Protestant. Protestant. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think even within fair. Protestant circles, this would be considered heretical to say yes, that Jesus was of God. Right. So to what? say that to say to say that Christ wasn't God 
fully God on earth is a heretical position. Uh, yes. Yes, I agree with that. Right. That's but what I, you just I, said. I, you, you, just, I, you just embrace I, everything. I, I, no, no, no. I am not saying that Christ wasn't fully God while he was here in the flesh. My, brother, my brother, you literally what, just said what, that. What I am saying is following that in eternity he was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and he was full in his power of omni uh, science. Uh, omniscient he gave up some of his attributes to to fulfill his mission here on earth but that doesn't necessarily mean that therefore he wasn't god or he didn't keep his identity while he was here on earth but but you just to be quite frank the logic that you use to get to that point we can conclude that he wasn't god you kind of went back and forth on it with us. We pointed it out how it follows from your statements. And then you said, okay, so he went from being God to not God to back to God. No, no, you no, no, I didn't say that. No, no, no. You, I, I, you, maybe you literally I mis- said that. Okay, then then I maybe mis- misspoke what I said. I think that he just restricted his attributes, okay. which he hold prior to becoming man for, for his mission. But that doesn't mean that he lost his identity as a second. Okay, so we got to go back to we got to go back to step one. Then, do you understand what it means for an attribute to be necessary and essential? Uh, well, I think that uh, uh, being omniscient is uh, um, an attribute of God. Okay. And I think that the fact that he was able temporarily to suspend, to have this attribute, doesn't mean that he suddenly lost his identity, which he did hold from eternity, and become not God. But in the end of the story, where do you guys want to go with this? What is the purpose of questioning this? The purpose of, the purpose of the stream is to present what the Christian idea of the incarnation is. We argued in the beginning for about the first hour amongst ourselves, explaining what it is in some detail, explaining what we see the logical problems are with it. And then we opened it up to viewers uh, and especially we wanted Christians to call in to see how they would respond to the arguments, what their perspective is on it. And you are the second guest that's doing that. And okay, so answer Jello. So just really quickly, Jake asked a specific question about uh, what are the necessary and essential attributes for God, such that if God did not have it, we would not call that God. For example, we don't call Zeus God, do we? Because we believe that Zeus doesn't have all of the essential attributes. Also, he's a mythical figure. Yeah, but we wouldn't use that name. So we need to understand what are the essential, necessary attributes. Because if you're saying omniscience is not an essential attribute yeah then that means that okay god doesn't have to be all-knowing yeah but he already committed to that in the beginning he said it was a necessary attribute now he's saying it's an attribute are you saying that omniscience is a necessary attribute and if so do you understand the implications of saying it's a necessary attribute well um let me ask first of all. Um, I think Sharif, you are Muslim. Is that correct? 
We're all Muslim. Yes. Oh, you're all Muslim. Okay. Yes. All right. My okay. name shouldn't have given it away. <laughs> the okay. Muslim metaphysician. I'm just teasing you, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Um, to be honest, I am not used to to debate Muslims. Okay. We don't. Don't worry. We're not expecting you to to yeah, debate. Yeah. This is just for you to explain your position to try to resolve what we see is the logical problem. This is the, the subject of the stream. We typically pick a topic and that's what we try to stick to. Um, so today is about the incarnation and the logical problem with it. Yeah. So it's, it's a chilled atmosphere. You don't need to feel like we're going to. No, no, I am I'm relaxed. And I'm, I think I made my my position clear. I think that Christ, he, um, in order to fulfill his mission, he restricted himself temporarily from his eternal and divine attributes, which doesn't mean that logically then he wasn't, uh, he didn't hold his identity anymore while he was here on earth. Okay, so, so I mean, the, the last question, because it seems like you're, I don't know, it seemed like you're getting ready to leave. But my question to you, which I'm still trying to get clear on, is do you think omniscience is a necessary attribute? Yes or no? I think God is omniscient. Now, if it is a necessary attribute, I would have to think about that. But I think it is. Okay, because in the beginning you said that it was. Now you're saying you might have to think about it, which is fine. Um, but the implications... But well, I always hold that view that God is omni omniscient. He knows the future. He know. I mean, yeah. Christ says that we will be judged upon each of our words, which yeah. we say, and that implies that. Uh, uh, and he says also that all our words they are written in the books, uh, uh, which probably are angels which, which write them, write them down, and then we will be judged upon um, what we what we say. So that, of course, entails that God knows um, all everything which we say, which we have said, which we will say, and even uh, our thoughts. And that entails that he is all-knowing. Right. But the, the idea is, is that when you say that something is necessary with respect to a being, and you say that this attribute, omniscience, omnipotence, uh, whatever attributes you want to ascribe and you say they're necessary, what that means is that if we are analyzing a being and we're saying in order for it to be that being, in this case, God, it must possess, meaning necessary to, it must possess these attributes of omniscience, omnipotence, etc. that if it does not have those, then it could not be God. Now, you said that Christ didn't have omniscience on earth, that would mean that at least temporarily he was not God while he was on earth. I mean, it just follows. And that would be a problem well, because on the Christian creed, on the Christian creed, that would be, that, that's contradictory. That's not what Christians believe. Yeah. Maybe just to explain yeah, a, a little bit further as well, just sorry, on, on uh, Jello, I'll, I'll let you respond as well. If, you, if we say a triangle has three sides, we're saying that the three sides are necessary for a triangle. If it didn't have three sides, it couldn't be a triangle, yeah? So in the same way, we're saying, well, for a necessary being or creator or God, 
one of those necessary attributes is omniscience, omnipotence, etc. If it didn't have that, then it would no longer be a necessary being, a god. It would be a contingent being. It'd be something that's part of creation. Yeah, would have something okay, have to create it. Okay, let me frame it like this. I think, in face of what you guys are saying, maybe the question if um, God, in order to be God, must necessarily um, have that attribute of science um, is eventually um, a moot or not, not, not important question. What I think is what the, the Bible reveals to us that God has these attributes <coughs> from eternity, which is all knowledge. But then Christ, when he became man to fulfill his mission, he um, submitted himself to the restrictions and limitations which that entailed by becoming human. So I see no logical problem with that. And I see no justification to reject the understanding that Christ is, uh, is God. Do you mind if I ask you, so with regards to these limiting or the, the restriction, uh, was when Jesus salam, restricted himself from these godly powers, um, was it something he could unrestrict? If he wanted I didn't to, I didn't understand your question. So he's, you're saying that Jesus, Alaihissalam, when he came to Earth, he submitted to limitations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Could he undo those limitations? Um, I don't know. Probably not. I'm not sure. So he. I, I, I just. Yeah. Go ahead. So the thing here is, is if he submits to these limitations and he can't undo them, then again, how can he be considered while these limits are in place? How could he be considered God? Well, I already told you that he didn't lose his attributes as the son of the father while he was here on earth. His personality didn't change. He was the one which was in eternity by the Father. He decided as a plan of salvation to become human, to restrict himself of his attributions of divinity in a, in, in a temporal um, uh, uh, limited manner, to fulfill his mission to become the Messiah and the Savior of humankind. And um, that didn't remove by no means his attributes of being who he was. So let me, let me, let me, let me just try, try to, try to give, give you my thoughts on this. It's just, so if, if, if I tell you that um, as a human, I'm going to, uh, you know, temporarily take the form of something else, right? And, and you understand what the essential properties of being a human are, right? So mm -hmm. I'd have to point to that something else that I'm going to be and say that there is such and such human properties about this thing that makes this thing a human, right? If I can't point to that thing and tell you that the essential properties of humanity exists in this thing that I am claiming is a human, 
but I'm saying it's just a human somehow, then I don't think I'm really, uh, I'd, I'd really be making sense. And similarly, if you're saying that Jesus is God, but then at the same time, we're asking you what the essential attributes are of God. And you're pointing at this human who you're calling God, but you find no essential divine attributes in it. Then what is it that you're referring to that has this divinity or this godliness, right? So, I mean, in the same way, if, if I, if I, point at a cat and tell you it's a human and I can't name any essential attributes of a human, you're not going to really take me seriously. So I think it's, it's, I think the analogy here is that when you're referring to a human as God and you're saying there is something in this human that's divine and we ask you what the essential attributes are divinity of divinity are, you give us a list, but they are nowhere to be found in this thing that you're calling a God. That's the problem. So we don't understand how this human could possibly be a god without any essential attribute, without the without certain essential attributes, uh, div divine attributes within him. Like, even if it's one essential divine attribute, if it's an essential, if it's an essential attribute, then he necessarily needs to have it in order to be divine. I think that's the gist of the issue. Do you believe that the Bible is the revealed word of God? Uh, as it is today, no. See, Antagello, okay. sorry, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing your name right. Lots of, there are lots of religions out there that make claims to be from God. Yeah. And we have to have a way to say, is it really from God or is it not? Yeah. Because Hindus will claim that their scripture is from a divine being. You know, uh, Muslims claim that, Christians claim it. So we have to have some sort of criteria. Now, the question is, do we use the mind to sort of differentiate between what's a true revelation or not? And if we use the mind, then I think one of the ways that we can use the mind is to look at the claims that are being mentioned within the various scriptures. And if it results in a logical contradiction, yeah, a fundamental logical problem at the very heart of its belief system, then we can say, well, this can't be from God because God is not the author of confusion. Yeah, that you know it has to be rational. My, to... Okay, my my reference point is the revelation of God. Okay, yeah. I believe that the Bible is God's revelation. Okay, and I go, I go by what the Bible says, and the Bible Why is, is very clear. Well, we have several lines of evidence which demonstrate us that Christ is who he said to be. First, we have the prophecies in the Old Testament. There are 356 prophecies which point to Christ as the Messiah, <coughs> which, which was expected to come. Then we have the testimonies in the New Testament, in the Gospels, of uh, eyewitnesses which have seen um, Christ not only being crucified, but also resurrecting. There were over 500 eyewitnesses which saw this. And um, then we have also historical evidence of his existence. I think you guys don't doubt that Christ is a historical figure. Yeah. And, no, no, yeah, that's right. We don't doubt that uh, Jesus, and, whom we yeah. call Isa Islam, actually existed. But the problem is, is that the prophecies that are mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, none of the Jews and Jewish commentators 
believe that those prophecies actually apply to Jesus. That's the first issue. The idea that those 500 witnesses, but we don't know a single name of those 500 witnesses, is another problem. So what we have is we have various claims that are being made. Do you think it is important that if a religion makes a claim about God, that it has to be, at the very least, logically consistent? It can't result in a fundamental logical contradiction. I, th I don't think there is a fundamental logical contradiction based on what I just said, that Christ did hold no, no, all not, these I'm, attributes. I'm asking, yeah. That I'm not Christ asking specific, all... Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm not asking specifically about the Bible. I'm just saying generally. Can we use that yes. as a criteria? Yeah. So we can well, use that as, course, as a... I would, yes, I agree with you, but I have also to say that we as humans, we are limited in our understanding of spiritual things. We cannot, I cannot fully understand God's nature. Yeah. So I can just understand up to the point where God reveals himself to us that I can understand. But mm. I cannot understand more than that. Since I regard the Bible as the uh, authority and revelation of God, then I go by what the Bible reveals about God's um, uh, nature, and I believe that. Yeah, but the problem that we're sort of addressing here in this particular stream is this logical problem of the Incarnation. Because if we say, okay, God has to be uh, uh, this, have certain essential attributes. If it doesn't have so these essential necessary say, okay, attributes... So, okay, so if we don't say that... That okay. God has to be, has to have that in in yeah. all his his um um how can I say yeah if we if we say that he has he holds these attributes while he is in heaven but he can limit himself not to um, behold these attributes restricting himself while he is becomes human and he is here on earth, then I see no logical uh, uh, problem. With yeah, the, the logical but, problem sorry, is okay. when you claim that those attributes are necessary to be God and say that he didn't have them and yet he was still God, that's what the internal contradiction is. The only way out of it is to say that those well, attributes the, are not necessary to be God. Okay, does the Bible say that that they, these attributes need to be with God all the time uh, in all his entire entire history of being? Does the Bible well, make that claim somewhere? Well, I mean, you said that they were necessary attributes. I thought if you were going based on the Bible, then it would be. I mean, where why why do you originally say yes if you don't think the Bible says it? No, I think that the Bible uh, says that God holds the attribute of omniscience, but the Bible doesn't say that in order for God to be God, he, he must hold these attributes uh, all the time. I, yeah, see no so my, that he, my I, I don't see no problem that he can restrict himself, at least the second person of the Trinity. Yeah, so, Otangelo, I'm this, saying if you, don't, if you don't see it in the Bible of where it says that omniscience is a necessary attribute of God, and of course it doesn't say it in those exact words, so we don't have to think of it that way, but if you don't even think the idea of omniscience being necessary attribute of God is in the Bible, 
I'm wondering why when you were originally answered, asked a question that you said yes. If you didn't get it from the Bible, where did you get that answer from? I think, I think I was very clear since the beginning. I said that the Bible reveals that God has omniscience, but right. at the same time, when Christ did incarnate, he, uh, uh, he restricted himself willingly to have this attribution of himself for a restricted period of time while he was here on earth. There is no logical yeah, contradiction in that. But there is because he was was he not simultaneously fully God at the same time? And therefore didn't he what doesn't he wa- didn't he have well, he was, omniscience as well? It seems like well, we're going he, in circles. He, I know, I know. This is the thing. It's like so just to jump in here for a moment. So, I, I, I said I said many times and I don't know where your problem is to understand that he had the capability to restrict himself to have this attribute while he was here on earth as human. Right. So we, we're, we're granting you that for the moment. So let's say that Jesus restricted himself while he was here on earth. Are you saying that he was also simultaneously God and held the attributes yes. of God? He, was, right. he continued to, he continued to, continued be, to be God. God, yes. Right. Now, so here is... The problem. So before you said that you were fine with the the law of non contradiction. You you don't take that away. Now to say that he was fully God was to say that he he had no restrictions and he had restrictions simultaneously. Because that's what it means to be fully God. Well maybe, well, maybe being fully God means that he continued to be the person that he was since eternity. It's the same identity, but he restricted himself from some of his divine attributes while being here on earth but then how is he fully god he's not fully god then well is that not word playing I, I it's not no 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 it's not <laughs> this is not word play this is not i, I think this is, i think i think, I think I mean, we're going in circles but i, I just want to say one confused. thing about the prophecies and stuff uh, um the thing is you you need to use your reason and you need logic in order to make this case for the 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 you know the 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 fact that or the divine authorship of okay, the Bible, so or the, okay, the so, fact that okay, one so second, let me, second, let, let me just here. finish. Let me just finish the point. So you you need to use logic and reason in order to make a case for the idea that the Bible has some kind of divine authorship or that it is authoritative, and 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 you do use it. Uh, Hindus do this too. There there are Hindus who speak about scientific miracles in in, in, in Hindu uh, writings and scriptures, and they speak about prophecies. Muslims, we do this too. We claim we have prophecies within within Islam that have 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 shown uh, the Quran to be true. I'm not saying these are all on equal standing. We can compare, and maybe one can be more plausible than the other. But what I'm saying is one of the aspects in which we're going to c- compare all these word worldviews is that logic we're using for you to make a case for the authoritativeness of the Bible. So we're going to use that same logic to say, okay, so let's look at the Hindu conception of God. Let's look at all these polytheistic religions. Let's look at these monotheistic religions. Let's compare what they say about God, you know, in light of the logic and reason you're using to claim that the Bible is, is, is authoritative. And let's try to see which one 
has a the most coherent conception in the same way you try to analyze which scripture is most coherent in terms of all the claims it makes so it's not very different i think it's a it's a cumulative case that you need to make and part of that cumulative case needs to be your concept conception of god that's probably a cent central aspect of of, of, of religious scriptures, uh, uh, prophets were sent to tell people who God is and people, they're going to assess the, the message that the prophets are giving them based on this central aspect that's being revealed. So I think to say that I'm using logic and reason to, to, to assess my scripture and to make a case for, you know, prophecies and miracles in my scripture and, 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 and then present a case. Uh, and then when it comes to the conception of God, that's, referenced within these scriptures we just say that you know we, we don't have full knowledge of it which we agree with you we don't have a full understanding of god's nature but the claims we do make about god should be coherent and the fact that logic applies to god doesn't mean that god is fully fathomable so so to say that it feels like it's special pleading and 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 i think um I, I think that that becomes very clear when we when when we have discussions about other aspects of faith and logic and reason and evidence plays a huge role. But then when we talk about the coherence of your conception of God, all of a sudden we don't have enough information. Well, I think as a whole, we don't have enough information because we'll, we're fallible as humans, but we need to put our claims about God under scrutiny. And I think that's where we are trying to be consistent in making this comparative analysis between different concepts of God. Okay, so let me ask you something in regards of uh, uh, Islam. Um, as you probably know, we believe that Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that when we put our faith, when we surrender to what he did on the cross for us, then we receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life, and we become children of God, adopted children, children of God, and then uh, we change basically family from being just creatures of God to become family members of God, okay? So there has been paid a price for my sins, and um, Christ paid for these sins. Um, how is yeah, that? I mean, I think, I, think, I think we know where you're going with this, but it's, it's kind of off topic, but then just generally speaking, I mean... Uh, I, I know, I know where you're going with this forgiveness of sins and paying the price for sins in Islam. It's not arbitrary. There is a different system. You would agree that God has all the authority to implement what system He desires to, and and it's not arbitrary. It's fair. It's just. There is a forgiveness of sins, and there is justice. It's just a different system. But I don't think it's it's related at all to this topic. I think I actually think there is a problem with with the with the Christian conception of of. Uh, uh, of salvation and, and atonement uh, as well. Maybe we can do a separate stream on that, but but I yeah, don't it's think it's related because this 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 uh, stream is specifically about the incarnation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so it, think, just just so you really think, clear, I think so you... I made my point uh, clear in regards of that. I don't okay. think but... there is more to be added to what I said. Uh, just to maybe resume what I said. I think God revealed Himself as only. Uh, knowing, omniscient, and um, that uh, Christ as the second person of God, um, in order to fulfill his mission, became human and restricted himself uh, temporarily um, to be uh, uh, to have some of of his divine attributes, 
I don't think that because that he lost his personality or identity as the second uh, person of divinity, and therefore I see no contradiction or logical problem in regards of that. Okay. But, but then you'd have a problem in saying fully God. I, That's the uh, issue. What, what, whatever. I mean, you can you can say whatever you want. You can I, say he's God, my... but minus the omniscience. Is that what you want to say? He was God, I, but I, minus I the omniscience. I think the relevant. I think the relevant point, which I made very clear here, is that he kept being the second person of the Trinity of the Eternal God while he was here on Earth. That's okay. Thank, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Okay. We enjoyed the discussion. Thanks a lot. Okay, Take bye care. Bye, guys. Bye. It's a shame. I, I, I feel like yeah, he, he wasn't really understanding. He kept saying there was no contradiction. And then when we showed where the contradiction was, rather than addressing that, he just sort of ended up repeating the same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, I just wanted him to see it. I mean, what it was was that when he said that we're using semantics or world, word games, when we're saying, well, you're saying fully God, we're not making that claim. So we're, we're not saying that Jesus, Naudabillah, is fully God and fully man. That's the Christians who are making that claim. Now, if he's saying fully God, but then he's minus one of these actual necessary uh, attributes, then you can't say fully God. You can say he's he's God, but minus this. A little he's bit no of God. longer God. Yeah, and this is the problem. This is. And I it's like I'm saying what... I'm a human minus a human soul, but you can't be a human without a human soul. Yeah, <laughs> it's like saying you're a human, but you're not a human. I mean, it's 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 it sounds fully the same. circle, fully square. Yeah. It sounds like William Lane Craig. <laughs> fully circle, fully square, but minus. The one side of the square, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yeah. So, well, yeah. I, he and he actually did explicitly say it that okay, so he wasn't God while he was on Earth, like yeah, I've got it here people, as well. As yeah, you people can play it back and and watch it because he did. He's, say a, he's it. a nice guy. I think he yeah. wasn't maybe. Uh, I think he was very polite, civil. Yeah, he was. No, 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 he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we were just uh, getting was... a bit excitable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is the audio one? Um, I don't hear anything yet, but try to play it. Are you playing it or no? Yeah. Okay, I don't hear anything. No, I don't, you don't hear, hear anything, anything either. No. Nope. Did I then? while being here on Earth. Okay, I hear it now. Identity. We're, we're talking about whether or not he was well, ontologically well, God. Well, I mean, um, it would follow that he wasn't God during his period here on Earth. And okay, so you... Prior, he, was, he was God. Why, why, right. why is that? I mean... Uh, yeah, so he said it there. He wasn't God while he was here on Earth. But then yeah. he sort of backtracked. Yeah, he was asking. Yeah, he was asking what the problem with that would be. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's yeah. an obvious problem. But we've got one other person waiting, uh, Mujtaba, and um, if nobody else joins. We'll just end the stream after this. Yeah, it's a shame that no one else has joined. I was really hoping to get a bit more. Yeah, salam alaikum. Yeah. Wa alaikum salam. How are you, inshallah? 
Alhamdulillah, good, good. Did you have you been listening to the show? Have you been listening to the yes, discussion? yes, yes, yes. I don't know what yes. thoughts Actually, you have on this particular topic. Yeah, I was I was going to say that <clears throat> uh, when I was in India, uh, I heard about uh, Ganesha, uh, the the story of Ganesha, and they were telling me that um, uh, Ganesha, when he was twelve years old, uh, when he, before he was born, his father went to the forest, <clears throat> and then. Uh, he didn't see uh, his son, and then he was 12 years old. His mom went to take a bath, and then he asked uh, Ganesha to, because I was asking why he has head of uh, elephant. So they were explaining the story. And then he uh, was guarding his mom, and then suddenly uh, his father came back, and he wanted to enter the bath. And Ganesha said, that, I don't allow you to go there. And then father uh, chopped his head. And then mother came out and said, oh, my son, and uh, so on. And then he realized that it is his son. So he went around and found an uh, uh, elephant baby and cut his head and put it on his uh, you know, neck, the, Ganesha's neck. And then I was asking uh, one student, how come he was God, but he didn't know his, that this is his son? So she started laughing right away and said, I don't know, we just follow our parents, okay? So my um, thing is that do Christians believe in such a story if uh, Hindus explain for them? In that case, how they uh, expect that we believe in this, uh, their story that Jesus was God and then they say he was son of God. I mean, when you say horse, a horse gives you a lot of information. Just one word gives you a lot of information about a, a particular animal that is goes on four feet. He's, it is strong, fast, and so on. So when uh, you say father and son, it gives us a lot of information that um, he, uh, God is another person and Jesus was his son. So, and then unfortunately, this, um, I mean, pagans they they believe they think that god is a object that's why they uh, they portrayed him as a uh, i don't know different things different uh, uh, feature in all of them all uh, pagan uh, uh, religions but for me god is the entire universe okay so how can this entire universe uh, limit himself in one person and why exactly Jesus, why not before that? Why not Moses? Why not he? Why he didn't come and uh, you know sacrifice himself uh, um, before that? Why exactly? Uh, yeah, Jesus. Just yeah, because yes. they say we don't have to believe in just because they say. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, right. So I think much of it you make a, yes. you make a good point at the beginning, which was the fact that Hindus make certain claims. Now a Christian would sort of scoff at those claims and say well that just sounds ridiculous yeah uh, exactly in the same exactly. way in the same way when we, but when we look at these claims it's not that we're scoffing at anybody billah. rather we're trying to say okay we have a principle we have a rational way of understanding the world and a rational way that we came to the conclusion that a creator exists yeah so one thing mm. i would disagree with you much upon is we don't say the universe is god because we say Everything that we sense, whether that's with the universe or things within the universe, are limited, contingent, dependent things. They're things that require something else in order to provide its own explanation of how it came to be. 
and the fundamental explanation or fundamental cause for everything that exists would have to be something that itself requires no explanation, meaning that it's unlimited, it's beyond uh, you know, what we sense of dependent things. So it's something that's eternal and independent. Now, if we come to the conclusion that you have an eternal, independent, all-knowing uh, creator, and we call this God or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you can't say this eternal creator can be both fully eternal and fully limited, yeah, or, you know, can die. That would be an, exactly. a logical contradiction. In the same way, we can't say that God is, uh, Allah is, you know, uh, not bound by space and time, and then say he is bound by space and time. That's why we don't say the universe is God, because it's bound by rules and laws, which itself didn't impose, but was imposed upon it. So when we use that framework, we then analyze different religious claims about God, and we can say, you know, actually, this doesn't fit with our rational understanding of the nature of the creator, not the nature of the creator, but how we should understand uh, the creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, in essence, you're bringing the creator and making the creator like creation. Yeah. And that would be logically problematic or incoherent in that situation. So, I think this is what we're trying to explain to. Uh, you know, uh, people here on this particular stream is that the the methodological way to approach belief and approach various belief claims, like Abdurrahman mentioned, you know, about prophecies. Well, yeah, obviously Islam has prophecies. You know, we can debate the specific prophecies within the Old Testament, and many people have, and they basically said it doesn't actually determine uh, Jesus. There's no clear-cut categorical way to say that these prophecies are referring to Jesus, Isa alayhi salam. Um, so you can't use that as an argument. Similarly, you can't use arguments that say 500 people witness something and yet we don't know who these 500 people are. So these, these arguments don't necessarily substantiate the position, but more fundamental is the claim that's being made about this creator, which is logically incoherent. And obviously the scripture, the guidance from the creator cannot be logically incoherent. It has to be rational. There shouldn't be ikhtilaf in the, in the sense that there is fundamental contradictions within the scriptural basis. And so saying fully God, fully man for Jesus, Isa alayhi salam, is like saying a squared circle. Much, uh, yes, much exactly. about, I think we, we're going to have to uh, go, but appreciate your comment. Uh, no problem, you know, thank you. But thank, thank you very you much very for much, coming. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah khair. Uh, so I don't think we've got anybody else on, do we? No. No. It's a shame. So I... <laughs> it's a shame. Uh, but I expected more I... Christians to join because we shared it everywhere and they were kind of commenting on, on, on the posts. Like yeah, on Twitter there's another... There's an yeah. There's another stream going on right now on uh, I think on SE Dawa on almost the exact same topic. So that's I no, think that's right. part that's part of the issue. Possibly, yeah. but no problem, inshallah. I think. But what we did is at the beginning of the show, I think we really tackled the topic in a way which I don't think others. You know, I'm not trying to say our streams the best, but other streams don't necessarily tackle it <laughs> in this particular way in a more, you know, robust intellectual manner. 
So I think there's some definitely benefit for people, Muslims, non-Muslims, Christians, to watch this stream, particularly the first hour of this stream, where we really went into a little bit of detail about the logical problem of the incarnation. So, you know, uh, I don't know if the brothers, any last two minutes each, if you want to make a quick... Yosef, you're, you're looking desperate to say something. <laughs> no, no, it's the opposite. I'm trying to... Trying to... <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just a, a big shame. I guess it's maybe to do with the fact that there's several live streams on at once. Um, would have been nice to maybe have had someone on. Maybe we can arrange um, a discussion. Like, we'll try and get in touch with someone and see if we can have them have a discussion with Jake in particular, maybe, um, on this. Because, uh, like I say, it's a bit of a shame today <clears throat> in terms of not really being able to discuss it. Um, yeah. There's someone equipped to be able to... Well, really that's the why problems. they didn't come on. They, the, 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 the Christian that did come on came on and he was like, he probably not heard of this show before, so he didn't realize what he was stepping into. And then he probably <laughs> thought, you yeah. know. But Abdurrahman, I don't know if you want to have any uh, quick last thoughts uh, about the topic. Yeah, logically. I mean, uh, generally, but... generally, I think this this topic is important it's related to the topic of the trinity and 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 uh, it's very important especially when we're comparing worldviews like when i look at it like um, when i like kind of pan out and look at it look at the, the entire picture and we're comparing different worldviews and the conceptions of god that are proposed in the different worldviews these logical problems that 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 uh, we see in christianity in particular with regard to the trinity and the incarnation which i think is a bigger problem I think the, the the main issue here is it at least needs to be taken into account. And a lot of our Christian friends uh, don't even think that is the case because God is a mystery. No, I think the claims that are made about God need to be taken into account when you're comparing worldviews, when you're comparing religions, and when you're trying to assess which religion is uh, proposes the most coherent account for existence and the most coherent conception of God. So I think it is uh, extremely important, and uh, especially in light of the fact that the whole motive behind uh, this idea of an incarnation, uh, the, uh, the idea of you know substitutionary atonement, we can talk about it in some other stream. The whole motive behind it is something that doesn't seem to be from a philosophical lens absolutely necessary in order for forgiveness to take place I, I i grant that that's not really relevant but i think it is relevant when we're thinking of what uh, what why this would be a necessary aspect of god's interaction with his creation if it isn't necessary i think for me personally if if it if it isn't necessary then that already is a red flag for me if i'm comparing worldviews and i see i see for example the islamic conception of god where it is quite straight to the point. God is one. He's all powerful, all knowing, all forgiving. And I don't need to uh, uh, consider these. Uh, I don't need to, I, I don't need to have these unnecessary aspects of God in my worldview, but it's not just that it's unnecessary. It's just, it's also that it is contradictory, quite explicitly contradictory and problematic. And in that aspect, I think it's, 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 uh, it's very important to, to, to take this into consideration when we're looking into these when we're doing a comparison between worldviews and religions. Cool, Jake. Do you want to have a quick last word? Yeah, so like Sharif said, in the beginning, the first hour, we tried to explain 
what sort of the logical problem with the incarnation is. Um, there's a few of them, but we can't go over all of them now uh, as a recap. So I suggest people watch um, at least the beginning of the stream. Unfortunately, we wish we would have been able to have on more uh, opposition and, and Orthodox Christians to present or defend the uh, position, but we didn't get a chance to. But I do want to just read um, uh, a quote that I did read in the beginning, which is from <laughs> William Lane Craig, which he says, how can Jesus be truly God and truly man? He's asking a question. If anything looks like a contradiction, surely this is it. Jesus seems to be the proverbial round square or married bachelor. How can he be both cre creator and creature, both infinite and finite? How do we unite in a single person omniscience and ignorance, omnipotence and weakness, moral perfection and moral perfectibility, the attributes of deity which, which he must have possessed as the second person of the Trinity seem to drive out the attributes of humanity. So it seems to be a logical contradiction to affirm with the historic Christian church that Jesus is truly God and truly man. So, I mean... He, he literally says, if anything looks like a contradiction, surely this is it. And he compares it to a, uh, a round square or a married bachelor. Um, and, and the reason why I emphasize this point is because, again, in books like this and in, in books on the topic of the Trinity, it's not Muslims that are explaining and expressing these problems. It's, it's Christian uh, scholars who are presenting the problem, and then within these texts, they try to give an answer to the problem. Um, and, you know, it, for example, in the intro, it says, put this way, the problem is a logical or philosophical one, and it is of interest to philosophers beyond the relatively narrow question whether a certain Christian doctrine is coherent. It goes on to explain further, but... The point is, it's not just a, uh, uh, it's not it's not a problem anything other than a philosophical or strictly logical one. Now we can go on to historical issues or textual issues. That's fine, but that's been addressed many times over in other streams. So we tried to focus on specifically the philosophical or logical one, and we presented the problem. And I, I suggest. If people want more information, there's plenty of resources on that. Um, I do have my own channel, The Muslim Metaphysician, in which I go into these things in a bit more detail, and people can look at that for a resource, inshallah. Cool. Jazakallah, Jake. Uh, just to reiterate the point about uh, Jake's channel, go there. He's got uh, free videos on this particular series. Next week, inshallah, we're doing a special show. Next week, obviously, is also going to be Ramadan. So we're going to be having our show slightly earlier uh, because, obviously, in the UK, it's sort of the current timing of our show is in between iftar. So we're going to have the show between 5 and 7 uh, next week. Um, normally, we have it every two weeks. But the reason why we're having it next week is because we're going to invite Justin on Uh from, you know, we know Justin, he's come on a few times on our shows. Um, and, you know, uh, um, you know, last couple of weeks, major developments have occurred. Um, and he's had a lot of backlash from the atheist community. So it's become to the point where he has to express 
um, يعني, uh, his own his own story, isn't it? So we want to bring him on. Uh, we will try and grill him. No, only joking. We're not going to grill him. We're going to bring him on. We're going to discuss with him, uh, and inshallah, you'll be able to hear from himself what's actually been going on. Uh, and what changes has been made so inshallah this should be an interesting show um you know just very quickly very briefly though i actually originally we actually advised him to stay off social media and youtube yeah so we're not inviting we're still him advising him this as well by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the uh but because it's become well known and because he's getting messages after messages uh you know from other atheists it's become to the point that he has to explain And so he wants to come on. He himself has been asking us, you know, saying, no, no, I want to come on to the Thought Adventure podcast. We'll do that next Sunday, 5 p.m. UK time, which is, I think, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so it would be interesting, inshallah. Jazakallah khair to the brothers. Jazakallah khair to the audience. Uh, Before, Sharif, I, I do want to plug. Yeah, and when you're done, Yusuf, I want to plug one or two more things. <laughs> Sorry. So... Brother. So make sure to follow Jake on oh, wrong way. It's always the wrong way uh, on his social media as well as following, uh, subscribing to his channel. Um, we also are on Twitter with the TA podcast. Um, so there's the thingy there. Mm -hmm. uh, so make sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you search Thought Adventure podcast in uh, Facebook and Instagram, you should find us there also. And we do have a... Um, podcast set up yeah. on spotify apple podcasts and google podcasts uh, i think yeah. we've got them on all of them uh, but those are the three main ones so if you like listening to these kind of things when you're driving um be sure to check that out and obviously you can download them as you want on there um and then other than that um make sure to subscribe to my channel if you haven't already uh, pondering soul um and at yusuf ponders Uh, is my tag for social media. So there it is. Jake, so, you yeah, wanted to say to... something, sorry. Yeah, sorry, last thing I want to say, I'm going to be doing a stream tomorrow with uh, Jazz uh, from his uh, channel, Calling Christians. We're going to be discussing the Trinity. Uh, so do check that out tomorrow, inshallah. And then also Sharif and myself are supposed to do another stream tomorrow uh, on consciousness on uh, Ali Dawa's channel. So uh, look out for those things, inshallah. Yeah, cool. Jazakallah khair, bros. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Let's play the outro. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi.